Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you heard about or saw about this terrible attack by a great white shark off the coast of Maine. Southern Maine, off the shore of Bailey Island in Harpswell, southern Maine. A woman from New York, 63 years of age, a lovely woman, Julie D'Imperio Hollowatch, was slaughtered by this great white shark. She was wearing a wetsuit. Her daughter, who was swimming with her, was about 10 to 15 feet away from her. Her daughter was not wearing a wetsuit. In one moment, family members on shore were giggling and laughing, and the next, Julie was screaming, and she was pulled under the water. The daughter managed to get to shore and screamed for help, and kayakers braved the waters, the shark-infested waters, in this case infested by one great white shark, to get to Julie. And they brought her to shore, and she was pronounced dead on the beach by EMS. First responders. What's wrong about this scenario, really, at the root What's wrong about it? I mean, besides how horrific, monstrous it is. What is the most wrong thing about it? Well, in 1997, the National Marine Fisheries Service banned fishing for great white sharks. Okay, you can fish for fish but not for great white sharks. They are the most devastating predator on the face of the earth. But fishing for them was banned. Oh, and this is a stunning conservation success story. Their numbers have burgeoned. What a great development. And this didn't just happen again in one locale. This was the National Marine Fisheries Service. Big Brother government, at its worst, at its most evil, at its most inhumane, and it banned fishing for great white sharks anywhere in the coastal waters of the United States of America. What has been the result of this wonderful government policy? People slaughtered horrendously, and others who have survived with grievous wounds and scars for life. Oh, but all in a good cause. It never ceases to amaze me 
the evils done by our federal government, such as induced abortion and so forth. But how is it that there is this fondness, not for mammals, not for warm and fuzzy, furry mammals, but for the likes of sharks, great white sharks, which can grow to 30 feet or more, you know, little things. Crocodiles, alligators, pythons, and such. Protected, protected by the federal government, not just by a law, but by law enforcement, enforcement of evil laws. What will be the fruit of this in time to come? Well, just so happens that a certain authority, not a person, not just one person contemporary at this time, no, But the greatest authority there is on the earth, the Bible, happens to make mention of four great judgments of God that are visited on wicked nations, wicked peoples. And one of them happens to be noisome beasts. Noisome beasts that are championed by the likes of certain billionaires and so forth who have very interesting agendas. But the truth is, the reality is, there will be greater loss of life in time to come directly due to noisome beasts including the likes of great white sharks. And the personal tragedy of this precious woman, that is in and of itself just so terrible. But multiply that many, many, many times here in the United States and around the world. But, no, you know, you can fish for tuna, you can fish for salmon, you can fish for trout, you can fish for all manner of other fish. But again, let's not mistake sharks with mammals, like bottlenose dolphins, all right? Sharks. Alligators. Crocodiles, which are protected in Australia, among other places, you know, have to protect such as that. Pythons that have invaded the United States of America, that can swim in the open ocean between the Florida Keys, that can devour a deer, (laughs) little things like this, but, oh well. Meanwhile, over to other predators. 
other dangers, such as Vladimir Putin and his regime, his dictatorship in Russia. Wait a minute. I thought Russia was a democracy. It's a democracy in name only. There isn't a dime's worth of difference between the Putin regime in Russia and Xi Jinping's communist regime in communist China. But the President of the United States, Donald Trump Sr., back a month ago now, he had stated that the United States was going to remove a certain number of troops from Germany and reposition them, reallocate them, bring some of them home, move others to other European nations, other European bases of operations, and then rotate other troops from the United States into other locations in Europe. And that this was motivated chiefly by Germany's failure to pay a fair share towards NATO costs. It's persistent refusal to do so. But (laughs) that was just over a month ago, let's say five weeks ago. And that was at the time that he met with Polish President Andrzej Duda, who was the first foreign dignitary to visit the United States of America, to visit the President of the United States of America in a good long while since this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic took root here in the United States of America. But just the other day, it was announced officially by the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, that in point of fact, the time has come that 11,900 United States troops are being removed from Germany. A share of them are being returned to the United States of America, 6,400, 6,400. Another portion, 5,400 troops, are being moved to other locations throughout Europe. And Mark Esper, Defense Secretary, he said, quote, the alliance will be all the better and stronger for this. Now, the troop presence in Germany prior to this was 36,000 approximately. U.S. troops. And this reduction will bring it down to approximately 24,000. 
So it's not like the United States is entirely removing troops from Germany. But it is reducing it by one-third. In addition to that, the United States European Command is being relocated from Germany to Belgium. Namely, from Stuttgart, Germany, to Mons, Belgium. Where, interestingly enough, it will be co-located with NATO's military headquarters. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's military headquarters in Mons, Belgium, will co-locate with the United States European Command. Now that actually seems reasonable on one level because (laughs) NATO's Supreme Allied Commander happens to be General Todd Walters who is the head of the United States European Command. Yes, this one man holding both of these positions. So, seems rather reasonable (laughs) to have these headquarters co-located. But Esper said this will strengthen NATO and improve the operational efficiency and readiness of over 2,000 service members in these headquarters. Exciting. (laughs) Really exciting. Esper further stated, I think Germany is the wealthiest country in Europe. Yes. (laughs) Germany can and should pay more to its defense. It should certainly meet the 2% standard, and I would argue go above and beyond that. Whoop. It should meet the 2% standard. It's not even providing 2% towards its defense. 2% presumably of its GDP. But it could be its GNP. We will see. But in any case... It's not even doing that. It doesn't have to. It hasn't had to. It receives this German government, receives vast amounts of money from the United States in various ways, in addition to having its defense taken care of for it. And then, of course, its leaders, its various leaders, not just Merkel, but they can look down their noses at the United States of America and opine regarding how loathsome the United States of America is. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's really, it's so much akin to the situation with the United Nations. But, 
Esper went on to say, I've said that very publicly. I've said that very privately to my counterparts, as well as about the importance of NATO and the alliance sharing the burden so we can all deter Russia. (laughs) Yes, so we can all together in this vast coalition deter Russia. What do we need to deter Russia from? Russia, Putin's Russian regime, just wants prosperity and peace. Can't we all just get along? Well, it just so happens that Putin's regime, his dictatorial, authoritarian, gangster regime in Russia, has international aspirations and ambitions that are violent. Now, his regime has not engaged in mass murder, mass slaughter, mass terrorism, like Stalin's did, like Lenin's did, the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. No, it has not. Instead, it's been very carefully targeted. Targeted against whom? Against an occasional oligarch in order to terrorize the others and whip them into line and cause them to pay heavily to Putin. And in addition to the occasional oligarch, political opponents, specifically those whom he deems actual threats, not personal threats, not threats to his person, but competition. that rarest of individuals who could actually undermine his authority and stand a chance of being elected to take his place. And these opponents are dealt with in a number of ways. Assassination, murder, Monstrous harassment. Targeting not only the politicians, but their support. Their staffs, their families, and so forth. But then the others targeted. Those who have been the most frequent targets of assassination, of murder have been journalists, investigative reporters, and so forth. And then there's one last group who are not politicians and not journalists per se, but detractors of Vladimir Putin. Ones who have been business people or have worked in the security services and so forth. Ones who have been persecuted and who have left Russia. 
and have been assassinated outside of Russia by Vladimir Putin's state security services. But we can all deter Russia. Deter Russia from what? When you say Russia, you mean Putin. You mean Putin's regime. But deter Putin from what? From invading Europe? From threatening the UK and the United States of America after having invaded Europe, occupying Europe? Well, that's one thing. But it should go without saying that we are doing nothing to deter Vladimir Putin from reigning viciously, ruthlessly in Russia. The only reason that Vladimir Putin has not engaged in mass murder in Russia is because of the times that we are in. It has not been pragmatic for him to do that. He has been able to accomplish his ends without doing that. But that's not to say that isn't in the future. But we can all deter Russia, right? We can all deter Russia. Meanwhile, concerning this redeployment, if you will, of U.S. troops, some armored striker units were returned to the United States of America. Namely, 4,500 from the Army's 2nd Cavalry Regiment. However, Other striker units are going to be rotated to the Black Sea region of Eastern Europe. Black Sea region of Eastern Europe. Think closer, positioned closer, staged closer, nearer to Ukraine and such. And Esper stated that This would result in a more enduring presence to enhance deterrence and reassure allies along NATO's southeastern flank. Southeastern flank. Romania. And again, Ukraine, Georgia, and so forth. That area. An F-16 squadron is being moved from Germany to Italy and will be joining other F-16 units there. And finally, and importantly, there is going to be location of the Army's 
brand spanking new Fifth Corps headquarters located in Poland. So, what does all of this really mean? (laughs) You know, what does it really mean? Well, on the one hand, There are critics who are saying this is going to greatly weaken United States presence in Europe. Because after all, the United States should be permanently located in Germany. Of course. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But these United States forces that are located in Europe are headed up by one man who is also in charge of NATO forces there. So will they be fighting under the United States of America or under NATO? We, of course, had this fascinating situation arise back in the day, back in Bill Clinton time, didn't we? U.S. troops serving under NATO instead of under the United States of America. Who needs national sovereignty? Who needs national identity? Who needs national autonomy? Certainly not us. We are advanced and we are enlightened and we know that we really should just be part of an international group, an international force, an international confederacy. Much wiser, much more wonderful. An organization that operates under other laws, other rules, and so forth. (laughs) But it's all to the good. It's all for the greater good. Isn't it? Well... Vladimir Putin, dear Vlad, how dangerous is he really? I mean, after all, again, George W. Bush took the measure of the man, looked at him, looked him in the eye, took the measure of the man, and knew this was a man he could trust. (laughs) Famously, infamously. But before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, unworthy, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. But back to Vladimir Putin and deterring Russia. All of us together there in NATO, deterring Russia. As if Russia single-handedly is going to take on all of Europe, 
UK and United States of America. Is that what's going to happen? Really? Do you really think that? Not the vast Soviet Union empire, but Russia, the Russian Federation. What nonsense. Thugs, gangsters. It's not that they will never act alone. If they are armed, heavily armed, they will strike individuals, preferably elderly people, children, females, and so forth. But if they have to, if push comes to shove, they will. But they prefer to attack in numbers. They prefer overwhelming force. Shock and awe. Putin's Russian regime is very tight, as the term is used, with Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime. And then they have other elements. Nuclear-powered North Korean communist regime of Kim Jong-un and his little sis, Islamist, nuclear-powered Iran. Oh, but they don't have nuclear weapons, (laughs) right? If they don't, it's only because of Israel, not because of the United States of America. And if they won't, it's only because of Israel, not because of the free world in Europe and the UK and United States of America and the rest, Canada and Australia and such. And nuclear-powered, nuclear-armed Pakistan. But Pakistan will undoubtedly be used to attack India. Oh, I know, communist China, the communist Chinese regime is supposedly so anti-Islam. No, not really. They don't want Islam encroaching dangerously in communist China. But they are altogether in favor of Islamist regimes attacking the United States of America, Europe, India, and so forth, and Israel. And they have heavily backed and armed Pakistan. And then there are others who supposedly 
are United States of American allies and are being persecuted by communist China. You know, the likes of communist Vietnam, communist Laos, communist Myanmar, Burma, Myanmar, and so forth. And then, of course, Islamist regimes, Malaysia, Indonesia, and so forth. But When attacks come from these superpowers, communist China and Putin's Russian regime, they will be in concert with one another and using and manipulating these other vital allies, if you will. Oh, but we can deter Russia. All of us together, we can deter Russia. Really? How about Russia and communist China? And nuclear-powered North Korea. Nuclear-powered Islamist Iran. Nuclear-powered Islamist Pakistan. Communist Vietnam. And the list goes on. But and then, of course, there's communist Cuba. Stones throw from veritable stones throw from the United States of America and Venezuela and so forth. But meanwhile, what is going on in wonderful Putin? dictated Russia. Well, I've mentioned before about these protests in the city of Khabarovsk, far east Russia, on the border with communist China. The governor, Sergei Fergal, was arrested on old murder charges. But Putin uses all manner of such things, claims of crimes, claims of corruption and whatever, against his enemies, exactly the same as the communist Chinese regime does against Christians, Christian pastors, Christian evangelists, Christian national missionaries all the way down to Sunday school teachers and nursery care attendants. The same charges, corruption, fraud, espionage, murder. He's gotten away with this. Putin has gotten away with this. The communist Chinese regime has gotten away with this. Going all the way back, in the case of the communist Chinese regime, back to Mao Zedong. In Russia, all the way back to the inception of communist power. 
the same tactics have been employed. Always the same. Oh, but Putin, he's democratically elected. Oh, yes, yes, yes. About that. Well, there is exactly one strong opposition leader in Russia. One national figure, Alexei Navalny. There have been others, but they've been eliminated. (laughs) Alexei Navalny, 40-something, like 40, 41, 42 years of age. His, what you might call political party, which it's actually not, but that still is the best way to describe it, Navalny's Anti-Corruption Foundation with the initials FBK. Like Family Burger King, FBK. But his Anti-Corruption Foundation has been monstrously persecuted by Putin's regime. Russia's investigative committee has been conducting searches, violent searches, at FBK offices in 30 locations across Russia using masked riot police, seizing all documents, all electronic components, Of course, never returning anything. This has been going on for a long time. Additionally, there were raids of the same kind made on 200 other locations of theirs. All of this to stop Navalny from being elected. Last summer, he was thrown in prison over and over again. And he was imprisoned for purportedly bringing these street protests into existence. On one of these jailings, one of these imprisonments, there was an attempt made on his life, an attempted poisoning to death, like they repeatedly tried against the former courageous leader of Ukraine. But there's nothing Putin will not do. He's shown that since day one that he's been in office. But in fact, going back before he was in office, it's what allowed him to take office. Namely, domestic terror attack. (laughs) 
attacks. Yes. But Alexei Navalny, he was also barred from being a candidate on grounds that he's corrupt and so forth. But interestingly enough, Alexei Navalny, and this is the case with so many who've been eliminated, investigative journalists who've been assassinated, and others, you find this common thread. What do they have in common? Time and time and time and time again, they have been investigating corruption of Vladimir Putin and his right-hand men and his top associates. That has been the most dangerous thing to do, to investigate. To investigate Putin and his gang for corruption. That might sound surprising to you. That that particular activity should be the most deadly activity there is in Russia. But it is. And time and time and time and time again, it has resulted in assassination. And Alexei Navalny, they have attempted to assassinate. But Alexei Navalny, he stated the following. All autocratic regimes come to an end. He's an optimist. And what you find with the overwhelming majority of these who like Alexei Navalny have opposed the corrupt, illegitimate, fraudulent government by Vladimir Putin. You find that they're not typically Christians, occasionally Jewish in some way, shape, or form, but generally speaking, they are just well-meaning, decent people who are not driven by spiritual belief, but just ideological or ideological, for those who prefer that pronunciation. They are driven by ideological beliefs and convictions. And they insist on waging a pacifist war against vicious, ruthless, murderous destroyers headed up by Vladimir Putin. He 
Alexei Navalny is a lawyer. And a good man. Not good like Jesus said, none is good but God, but a good man. He said the following. For these guys, referring to Vladimir Putin and all of his inner circle and so forth. For these guys, a billion dollars is nothing. And for just a billion dollars, you can buy up all the small parties of Europe. For just $1 billion, you can buy up all the small political parties of Europe. Not just in Russia, but all of Europe. But he's been attacked over and over and over again. One way or another. And It's just a wonder that he's alive. It is truly a wonder that he's alive. Alexei Navalny said the following, that this wave of raids by Russian authorities against his associates is, quote, probably the biggest coordinated searches in the country since 1938. End quote. The final year that Uncle Joe, Joseph Stalin, so-called, engaged in his infamous purges. But what is coming? Hmm. Of course, the Russian authorities, they made it out that this poisoning of Alexei Navalny, that it was just allergic reaction. Well, one of his doctors knew better. A former opposition politician like Alexei Navalny, Boris Nemtsov, was murdered immediately outside the Kremlin, the headquarters. Not only for the former KGB, but for Vladimir Putin. But, meanwhile, his staff, his supporters, they are subjected to all manner of threats. Young woman who happens to be a regional coordinator for his presidential campaign from the Siberian town of Kemerovo. Her boyfriend was removed from university. Her mother was fired from her teaching job. Her grandmother was threatened with being fired. Furthermore, notices 
were made up showing this young woman, Senya Pakumova's picture. Notices were made up with her photograph plastered in public places near her home, which included her mobile phone number and an offer of sexual services. This is the kind of evil that Vladimir Putin resorts to. This young woman is just a regional coordinator for Navalny's presidential campaign. But as Navalny said, Navalny, who is being blocked from, who was blocked from being a candidate, he said, quote, no other candidate has opened regional offices. No other candidate is properly campaigning. How can you have real elections without the only candidate who is campaigning? End quote. No opposition is permitted. Meanwhile, since the beginning of his campaign last year, members of his campaign staff had been jailed for more than 2,000 days in mass and fined more than 10 million rubles. As he said, quote, what's happening in Kamarovo is extreme, but it's a pattern across Russia, and it's clearly directed from the top. And they stop him in every way possible. They prevent anybody from being able to go to his public gatherings. They shut down public transport. The authorities do. They cancel public transport. They do everything they can to obstruct. And furthermore, they threaten landlords not to rent to Navalny's campaign. Additionally, in Putin's regime, Russia, gatherings of more than one person require permission. You heard that right. This is before the pandemic. This is a year before it. Gatherings of more than one person require permission from the authorities. And guess what? They only give permission to those who are on their good side. Vladimir Putin controls all television in Russia, state television. It's all state television, all acquired from the oligarchs. And he has divided dead these resources from the people. Meanwhile, the likes of Alexei Navalny, Boris Nemtsov, the late Boris Nemtsov, not a chance of getting on television. Meanwhile, there was a candidate, though, against Putin. Yes, a candidate, Sinya Sobchak 
who just happens to be daughter of Vladimir Putin's former law professor in St. Petersburg and former boss as mayor of St. Petersburg, who when he was deposed from office courtesy of Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin moved into his job at the KGB, the new KGB, the new and improved KGB, and was then launched into being immediately under Boris Yeltsin, and then he took over. Things are great in Russia. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.